several of the stories, but one of them is about a man named William Ruckel's house. Do you remember him? American budget. I, not really. A lot of people are in denial that there are forces that literally want to take over the country while you're sitting there worried about Trump and even Obama and these people. It's not that that's not the enemy. The enemy is the UN and the New World Order. They want to come in by claiming the debt and the sky is going to break it down. How? He is one of the most powerful men in the history of the United States. He started out as the head of the EPA way back in the days of Carter. Then he worked for Nixon. Then he worked for Ford. Then he worked for Reagan. Then he worked for Bill Clinton and George Bush and Barack Obama. And what his job was, first, he took over all the forests. Then he took over all the water in the Western United States and sold it. Then he took over trash. You ever hear of a company called BFI? If you have a trash can emptied by a truck in the United States, chances are it's a part of BFI. He owns that. He put that together. So at the end of his reign, and this is all behind the scenes, but I bring it out so that you can see it. The United States seized control of 700 million acres of American wilderness. Everything, the gold, the water, the coal, the wood, the water, or the, the uh, raw materials, everything, and mortgaged it. Mortgaged it for $10 trillion. And that's the debt that we're in right now. And if we default on that debt, the mortgage holders will come in and take that property. And so do you believe they set that up on purpose? We are going to, we are going to default. People don't even know what, what we all, you know, what this whole debt's about. And then they're going to purposely, that was all on purpose so they could come in and take over the country. You know how banks work. If you become know, a, unfortunately, you lose your job or something, the bank may come in and say, oh, I need a cosigner now. I need another piece of collateral because your, your risk has gone up. This is what the lenders did. This is what the lenders who were buying the American debt did. They said, you know, you're, you're at risk because you're not, you don't have the growth to back this up. I'm going to need something real to back this up. And that's why they mortgaged all this stuff. And that's why Ruckel's house pulled it all together and pulled it into the federal government which is all illegal, it's all against the Constitution, but it was still done. But why do we have to recognize something that's illegal? Well, because there's a national consciousness that occurs. Most people go about their daily lives doing their thing, and they don't really look up or look side to side, they're focused on their little world. But if enough people give enough attention to the story that we put forth in this book, uh, it creates a national consciousness. And that makes the other side realize that their resonance is going to be, is going to be conflicted with a national resonance. One thing about it, if the American people want something as a people, they get it. We do. It's kind of interesting. Now, do, does the cabal follow this resonance concept? I mean, are they really keyed into it? Absolutely. In fact, they require 
where you, you go to work for a company, they don't require absolute loyalty. Like everything you eat, everything you do uh, is, is aligned with the company. They don't. The syndicate does. It, it is a cabal. Some of my friends call it a cabal. But I say, you know, a cabal is kind of like uh, uh, a, a royal court where you have the king and then you have princes and then you have vassals. And But that's a very tense kind of organization because everybody's wishing the king dies so they can take his place. A syndicate is different. A syndicate has a code, has a core, has oaths and covenants that you make that lock you into it and you get your reward as long as you do your part and for most of the people in the syndicate they're satisfied with the reward in one uh one of the chapters i talk about bill clinton he has a conversation with a, one of my characters that I create to take you through this. His name is Lim Shun. I just made the name up. That's not a real person. But the situation is, and the reason I do it this way is so that I don't just tell this all from first person uh, or from third person omniscient. I put you in the room with those two having the conversation so you can hear it in their words, what they're talking about. And they're actually, in the book, they're planning mass shootings in order to force Americans to say, I don't want to have a gun anymore. I, I want to give up the guns. And as I, I was writing it, Las Vegas happened. And when I, after I published it, then, of course, Parkland happened. I mean, it was like I was racing ahead of reality, just a few steps ahead of it as I was writing this. Do the book actually... Do you think people, there's enough consciousness that people know that a lot of these are planned? I think it's getting out there. One of the things that uh, I realized during the 2016 election was this dichotomy between what reality was being pushed at us all the time and what reality really was. I saw the polls and all the news actors saying, oh, Hillary's going to win, 98% chance, Trump doesn't stand a chance of a snowball in hell. But when I went to alternative media, YouTube, Periscope, whatever, I saw these enormous rallies. 20 people inside, 10,000 people outside, 50,000 people watching live on YouTube. I went, there's no way. Look at the energy. What's going on here? So I said, let's tackle this from a Six Sigma statistical point of view. Where do the pollsters get their information? They call on the phone, but they call landlines. They always have. Well, when I started to do the demographic on who actually has landlines, 65 or older that own their own home. I said, well, that's not the demographic of America, but that's what the pollsters had to do. They couldn't call somebody with a Charlotte area code and get me in Chicago. They don't want to talk to somebody in Chicago. They want to talk to somebody in Charlotte. So they call landlines. Well, in 2012, that worked just fine. But in 2016, this changed from a cell phone to a smartphone. In four years, this is where people got their news. They were getting it from here. So I ran another survey of people that had smartphones. 
and I asked, where do you get your news? I get it on my phone. So you don't watch TV? No, I hardly ever watch TV. They were getting it from Drudge Report, Newsmax, World Net Daily, all kinds of webcast radio programs, YouTube. So I asked them, who are you voting for? 85% of them said they were voting for Trump. So by the time I took 78%, which is the number of people that had smartphones compared to landlines, 85% of that and turned into electoral votes, I came up with 314 electoral votes. Trump won 305. So I said, what state has nine electoral votes? How did I miss this? It was New Mexico. So I looked at New Mexico's voting precinct by precinct, three counties swung the state blue. Those three counties, all three counties had more votes than they have registered voters in those counties. That what a was phenomenal research you did. That was the nine electoral votes. I was dead on the money, 314 electoral votes. Well, and so, I think the alternative media has been really covering the Clinton crime syndicate very well. But you're, you know, Clintons are just one part of that picture. Yes. How, can you give us some names that you talked about in the book? Well, of course. I, mean, I talk about Susan Rice, uh, Clapper, Brennan, especially uh, uh, Samantha Power, who was the ambassador to the UN. She was unmasking as fast as the, as the surveillance would come in. She would take that information to FISA, unmask the name, and disseminate it. She was an ambassador to the UN. What was she doing unmasking Americans' names in surveillance of the Trump administration? Exactly. Not at all. So she claims somebody, somebody used my identification to do it. Not possible. To get in that room to do that? is biometric. Only she could go in that room. Well, now, do you connect it to the Bushes? Because, uh, you know, the, the cabal owns them all, right? They, until you're saying Trump is, is different. Yes. Have they well, owned it all the way since the Federal Reserve was formed? Or when did they start owning these presidents? In 1848, the Anti-Federalists became the Democratic National Committee. Within 20 years, they had uh, come up with the tariff of, abom of abominations, which forced the 13 states to uh, withdraw from the union and caused that war, which was basically a banker's war. Uh, Lincoln did not want to sign the bank charter, and they needed him to sign that bank charter in order to have a central bank in the United States still. So... They broke the 13 states away that were willing to deal with the transatlantic banks, and the union had to end up fighting them to get them back into the union and, and, and decimated them, just decimated them. Of course, when it was done, he still wouldn't do it, so they killed him, and the next president signed the charter. And it goes through history like that. I, I, I go through these historical events. One of the ones is 9-11. Before 9-11, if you wanted to see your family off at the airport, you could just go to the airport with them, see them off right at the gate of the airplane or be there when the door opens and they get off the plane. It was like that everywhere in the world. So 
So the National Defense Authorization Act, which makes up the Patriot Act and all this other stuff, was written years before 9-11, years. It was thousands and thousands of pages. But Americans would never go along with that. No way. 9-11 was planned not just to knock those buildings down, but to knock us down so that we would say, okay, 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 whatever it takes, just make us safe. I thought you would feel that way. Here's this set of regulations we have. And we gave up our rights just like that everywhere. I've flown to Egypt, uh, Tibet, everywhere. We're searched against our will everywhere, even in the United States, all over. We're searched against our will. We would never have agreed to that in 2000 uh, or 1999 or 1998. But we openly and easily did it in 2001. And it would not have mattered if Gore won or Bush won. Because that was in place by the syndicate. Both Gore and Bush were part of the syndicate. It would not have mattered one way or the other. But when Trump ran, he's not part of the syndicate. And it is not going their way right now. Yeah, it's pretty incredible. Now, how can we recognize if a politician is part of the syndicate or not? I mean, our our senators, because there's obviously senators that aren't. Rand Paul is obviously not part of the syndicate. But there seems to be senators that just go along with everything. So how do you know when somebody's involved and not? Well, that's why the Federal Election Commission is there, because they want to know where your money comes from to run. So they go around it by saying, well, I, I didn't get the money. It went to a political action committee that ran commercials on my behalf, but that wasn't my money. So it gets very murky and hard to understand. Like, wait a minute, I thought net neutrality was a good thing. No, it's a bad thing. The name is good, but the action that they're trying to do is bad. I don't get it. I'm confused. The way to keep it straight, always look at who are the enemies of this person. If that person has the right enemies, they're the right person. Who are the right enemies? Well, the right enemies would be establishment, would be the Schumers, the Pelosi's. It would be the people that we know are generals inside that syndicate. If they're endorsing this person in any way, you know they're part of the, the syndicate. If Who's part of the syndicate who are Republicans? There are a lot of them. John McCain is one. Flake is one. Uh, as far as senators, there are lots of congressmen. I've been to D.C. numerous times. Mitch McConnell. Uh, even guys like Marco Rubio. Uh, these are all senators, but there are lots of congressmen that are there. Look at the uh, last time I went to Washington, I was talking about uh, energy. I was talking to the Department of Transportation and Nancy Pelosi was there with her uh, entourage of junior congressmen. Some had one term, some two terms. All of them are part of the syndicate. And it, they all have to pledge to be part of the syndicate. Yes, they do. And it is pretty sickening when you think about the oath and the covenant and the ritual they have to go through. What do they have to go through? It involves pedophilia, it involves mutilation, it involves uh, acts that they would not do as decent human beings before this point, and after they do it, they're owned because it's filmed, it's kept on record, 
And if you ever cross them, you ever decide, I'm done with this, I'm out, you're going to be betrayed. And we see that. John Conyers, Al Franken, it goes on and on and on. When these guys end their usefulness to the syndicate, they will be discarded. Yeah, because they just bring up whatever they want and then they can get rid of them. Now, are you seeing pushback because you wrote this book? Not yet. I, I am pretty mobile. Uh, I have had my Twitter pretty much wiped out. I lost, uh, I documented it, 1,599 Twitter followers in the last 28 days. I took a screenshot of it off my analytics and I posted it on Twitter. I see you. I see what you're doing. So conservatives are being expunged from the popular media, YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. But I don't think that's that bad of a thing. It's a private company. They can do what they want to are do. Are you really Other a conservative? I mean, I don't... You just seem like you're someone who's trying to figure stuff out. <laughs> I hate, I don't, well, I really don't like this left right thing because it's like, I, it's people trying to bring goodness and truth to the world is suddenly a conservative and everybody else who's clueless is on the left. I mean, I don't, I just don't understand. I'm more of a libertarian in the sense that government, especially central government, the federal government, should only be doing certain things that the Constitution says it should do. But it's doing so much more, and it's consuming everything we make, and it's providing us nothing. National defense is not enough. The federal government is buying votes. They have a constituency made of people who are dependent upon them for money. Well, the problem and is that, when, when the government becomes big like this, that, and that you lose your freedoms, they become tyrannical. And sure. that's why we're worried about it. Yeah, it, it's it, like this yeah. net neutrality, which is a totally deceptive name. It has to do with Title I and Title II of FCC regulations. Under Title I, it's basically federal government hands-off. States can regulate it, but the central federal government is a light touch. That's why the Internet became what it is. That's why it's free enterprise. Companies and and technologies that are successful will succeed. Those that aren't and aren't accepted by the people fail. That's the way it should be done. That's the way it should be done. And it will constantly be moving. Otherwise, we would have never got PayPal. We wouldn't have eBay or Amazon or any of that stuff if the government had been regulating it. Now, Title II makes it a federal utility. There are no federal utilities in our country, not like that. The federal government doesn't control water, doesn't control in your pipes, doesn't control electricity, it controls the grid, but only for safety. This is a light touch, which means very few regulations. Now, the proponents of it would say, oh, we want the federal government to come in and force them to give us high-speed internet in an area that has one person per square mile. That's not very profitable. The reality is if you want high-speed internet, you need to move somewhere where high-speed internet is. That's part of the utility. That's part of the value that that company invested in to get that return. And that's free enterprise. Free net neutrality is not what they say it is. It is an um, um, uh, effort by the syndicate to control 
our internet in our country. All of it, not just the bandwidth, the content. Well, they're already controlling the content to a large degree. I mean, this last month or two is, yeah. well, it started years <clears throat> ago, but this they, they're getting obnoxious and just in your face in the last few months. It's not the government, it's the companies themselves. Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, they're run by radical uh, leftists. So do you think are, that they're just politicians doing it and have different ideas on policies? Or do you think there's actually the crime syndicate is behind that? I think the syndicate's behind it. And it's the money. It's the it's the patronage that they get. Now, what that means and, and what it should mean in free enterprise, when one company makes you unwelcome, you don't quit. You go looking for another company or a company doesn't exist, you make a company that accommodates those people. So guess what? Gab, Mines, all these different companies, BitChute, they're starting to pop up. And what will happen is in very short amount of time, believe me, very short amount of time, there will be a migration. And YouTube might go the way of MySpace if they're not careful. They have to be careful. You can't treat your customers like crap and expect to stick around. And if well, it gets too obnoxious, yeah. then it will. What adjective to that? You don't treat your paying customers like that. There are lots of customers on YouTube, but they don't buy anything. The, the people that do stuff, that earn money, we're the ones that buy. We're the ones that buy ads. We're the ones that pay for the ads to run on those programs. Well, and I know like my show, who's I've been affected. I have a lot of really, really smart professionals who listen to my show. I have the type of people people want to get to. So you, you have to be careful when you're messing around with shows who attract the top professionals. Your patronage is sitting there with a laptop and a debit card. It's the best type of customer to have. So this is why primarily why the leftists want to kick you and other conservative, other libertarians off the air, because they don't want that ideology to have the money. But and you can't not have it. They just do. I mean, the people are too smart. They're not going to follow somebody who doesn't have their, they're, they're thirsty for this knowledge. They're thirsty for trying to figure things out. That's why they watch my show, because I have people like you on it who are giving them um, mind-expanding ways of thinking. And that's what I do. I try to bring on people who can change the way they think and, and have them learn. Those type of people seek this out. Well, yeah, you're exactly right. And what they want to do is keep that kind of uh, enlightenment away. And so they're influenced and I have no idea why the CEO of any company would come out and make a political statement like, um, if you're a member of the NRA, you're not welcome here anymore. Well, excuse me, you just took about 5 million paying customers and told them they're not welcome in your That's story? That's just incredible. Who said that? Well, lots of, lots of CEOs have done it uh, that have come out and said, if you're part of the NRA, you're either not going to get a discount anymore or don't buy my product. Don't How watch do they my know? It's just a political statement. For yeah, them. it's stupid. It's stupid. Why would they even, if I was selling a product like that and I'm running a company, I would stay clear of some, who cares who you sell to? Let me say this. If you're a shareholder in that company, 
do you want the CEO saying, hey, 5 million customers, you're not welcome here anymore. Wait, 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 what's going to happen to the value of my stock? That's you're stupid. <laughs> exactly. That, that's a definition of dumb. <laughs> From a business standpoint, you don't do that. And if something's really controversial and you're selling Band-Aids or something, I don't How care what they believe. I just want to make the best quality Band-Aid. Yeah. How many people fly Delta Airlines? I mean, the, it's... Yes. You realize only 13,000 people in the last year took advantage of the NRA discount on their tickets. So why would Delta come out and say, we're no longer going to issue the NRA discount? What, how much money did they actually give away in the entire year? 13,000 bucks, maybe? Why would they come out and say that? Why would they? Their because business they're back? dumb. Because you wouldn't do that. They wanted to, they have to be part of the crime syndicate in some way because you just wouldn't do that. It makes no sense. I could see them getting rid of the NRA discount, but I would do it really, really quietly because you don't want to be part of the debate. Well, how many real sources of broadcast media are there in the free world? Six? Six owners? that own all the radio stations? Well, from what I understand is those six owners actually funnel back to one. Okay. So you get one propaganda. You want to run a full-page ad in, a, in the Washington Times or Washington Post or New York Times that says something they don't want the public to hear? They're not going to sell you the ad. You can't go to another newspaper with that kind of circulation because it doesn't exist. If you want to talk about charm of favor on a national television program i haven't been able to do it yet no one no one will give isn't me that interesting and i had the i had Catherine austin fitz talk about the money that's missing from the government right she she was saying that there was about six something trillion that she's been able to document and uh skidmore professor skidmore from Michigan State University said, I, you know, I don't believe this, whatever. I'm going to challenge her. And he, he, he went and looked it up. She was, oh, wow, he, she's right. And he called her. And he ended up having his whole class do the research. And not only did he, was he able to prove what she was saying is right, they found a lot more. Now it's over $21 trillion, And that's just from two departments, the Department of Defense and HUD. There could be from all, you know, other places as well. And why isn't that? And he put out a report and, you know, it, it got got a, a little bit of coverage. But why isn't that the, the most important thing hitting the news? Why is that not? You know, it's like, hello. And well, it could be the charm of favor, but it could be orders, too. We don't want this to get legs. Well, if I'm I sure. I'm sure that this is it's planned because anybody with a brain knows that that kind of news is really relevant. And I actually think I actually think shame on universities, all the economic departments across the country should be looking at this stuff and saying, yes, what is going on? If they are really good at what they do, they should be looking at it. And the fact that they don't know is shameful. It's absolutely shameful that the university, the economic departments, the business schools are not looking at this stuff. I'm I mean, we should be mad as hell at our universities but we are but i mean look at the unions look at the tenure 
look at the Marxist element that makes up most of the universities. But this doesn't at, have to be a Democrat, Republican, Marxist, Libertarian. Money's stolen. It's a crime. It's true. You know, it's, it's a crime. It's it, you're hurting everybody. And shame on all these people claim that they're experts and not acknowledging us. I think it's a complete crime. It's a sin against your children. It's a shame. I can get on my high horse, but I, the fact that people are not picking this up and going, what is going on? You know, damn you, you stole from us. You're taking away our future. Shame yeah. on all these universities. <laughs> we, have, we have mayors who are saying federal law doesn't apply in my city. We have uh, bankers. We have all this, you know, crime that's going on. Who, who coined the term hate speech? There's no such thing as hate speech. There's speech. If it's offensive to you, turn the channel. Go away. But you can't deny somebody the right to say what they want to say. The only time uh, it crosses the line is when that speech incites violence. And beyond that, everybody well, should have the right to talk. And if you're inciting violence, then you can be arrested for inciting violence. But Exactly. Uh, when violence comes to that speech, the speech is not inciting the violence. It's Antifa or OFA or these militant organizations that come there to break windows, turn over cars and burn things. That violence is not caused by the speech. Well, unless the speech is like, do this, go and break the windows and do all this stuff. I mean, I don't know. They always use the, the screaming fire in a, in a theater that causes a tramp, you know, a, what do you call it? Trampede or stampede. And if one modern hate speech let's look at what the south african parliament did two weeks ago passing by an overwhelming majority like 241 to 83 that all land all assets owned by white people will be expropriated without payment and given to poor black people yeah see that's not that's stealing now, if they stole it in the first place, then well, they okay. bought it. They, they came hundreds of years ago, bought land, developed it, put in roads, dams, schools, irrigation yeah. systems, experiment with the hybridization of plants to get things to grow in that area, built herds, put a rail to, to move their goods and services around. And now it's it's wealth. It's profitable. And they want it. And so they're going to nationalize it and take it. And it's sad because South Africa was this close to crossing the line from a developing nation into a developed nation. They stood in a place that could have led all of Africa into the, into the future. And now they have slid back into this tribal genocide. Oh, that's too bad. Sentence. Yeah, it's... it's uh, well, we need to raise our awareness. We need to raise our consciousness. And we need to be at a different level, right? And accept all human beings. You are amazing. I got to tell you, this was an absolutely treat for me to talk to you. Uh, I, I definitely have to have you back. And I assume you have just thousands of followers for your radio show, especially if this is what you're talking about all the time. Uh, you know, I've been on the air for 14 years. It has, it grows, it gets up, you know, close to six figures and then it slides back down as competitors come in and people move on and do different things. But I enjoy it because it gives me, uh, you know, three hours a week 
to talk about the mysteries of the universe and the earth. And if people are interested in hearing me talk about it, they can come and listen each Sunday night at 8 Eastern. And then do you have a website as well? Yeah, it's xsquaredradio.com. Uh, if you can't remember the name, just you know, put it in Google. Trust me, I'm, everything that I do is out there. It's, there's no privacy anymore, and I'm not afraid of it. I'm, it is I'm what the, it is, right? Transparent person in the world. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. My pleasure, Sarah. Thanks for uh, thanks for asking me. I really enjoyed myself. Because dying with the most toys is not the goal of life. The goal of life is to learn as much as you can, to do as much as you can, to be as much as you can, to experience the mortal existence. And by doing that, you'll have a lot more satisfaction than if you have a perfect 401k and a perfect house and two new cars, I promise you. It works for good or for ill. If Bad people understand this principle as well, and they can manifest great power and great oppression on people by using this energy to manifest their kingdoms. Why do you think one illiterate tyrant can have so much power? Because there are lots and lots of people that are aligning their consciousness with his, and it's creating this resonance in the universe. I observe that society as a whole is all too willing to abdicate the responsibility for their own life condition to someone else. And that puts us sometimes in a bad position. Welcome to Business Game Changers. I'm Sarah Westall. Today we have Brooks Agnew coming on the show. He is a scientist, a physicist, a chemist, He's taught at the university level. He's worked with all sorts of labs and Fortune 500 companies doing all sorts of incredible work. He's written six top-selling books that you can get on Amazon. He's an amazing, he just expands your mind in a lot of things that he works towards and does. Very fun for me to talk to. It was, it, it was really fun. He's, his political... Persuasion is libertarian, and he's he's pretty strong and libertarian-minded person. But when it comes to physics and chemistry, he's really mind-expanding. So this is a two-part episode. The first part is more uh, physics, chemistry, science, history, and talking about a few of the books that he's written in those realms. And then we get into his latest book, on the Clinton crime cabal. Very interesting, Very, it's more political conversation versus the science and uh, science chemistry, mind expanding talk. Although it's kind of mind expanding too when he starts talking about the syndicate and how that works and how it works in our country and how it affects politics. Very interesting show. And 
Before we get into that, I want to thank everyone who's a patron of the show. I thank you so much. It really helps the show go and it keeps it going. And so I really appreciate it. And I now accept cryptocurrencies as well. And I have the link below so you can donate that way or even uh, one time by PayPal. Thank you so much for keeping the show going. I appreciate that. I also want to talk about a series that's going on where you can... Uh, grow your own food, learn how to grow your own food in less than an hour a day. Very interesting information on that. I have the link below. You will learn how to, for your family, be able to provide way more nutritious food than you can ever buy in the store. And she, they're trying to motivate you to be able to do it in less than a day. And I'm pretty interested. I want to move away from the cold climate and be able to have a garden all year long and have fresh vegetables and way more nutrients. But anyways, let's get into that show now with Brooks Agnew. Hi, Brooke. Welcome to the program. Hi, Sarah. Good to see you again. Thank you so much for joining. You have this mind-expanding background. I mean, you've done these books. I want to talk about some of these books that you've written. You have so many projects that you do, but they're all so mind expanding and so i want to talk about a few of your books and then get into some of your projects that you're working on but let's start with i'm taking the a book it was Ten called minutes. um remember the future and it's based kind of on the the idea of the secret but you put science behind that can you explain it yeah i when i, when I finished volume three of the arc of millions of years series uh one of the things that came out in the study was that these ancient civilizations were looking at the relationship between let's just call it human consciousness and the manifestation of what they wanted to accomplish in physical life now they really didn't understand the principles behind it but they they knew that when they applied themselves strangely uh, the universe seemed to line up with what they wanted whether it was rain or whether it was you know, softening the hearts of their enemies or whatever it was. In a lot of ways, they, they tilted it toward religion. But in reality, what they were doing is is accumulating that human consciousness and delivering it with an intention. So along comes this book called The Secret, which is written by Rhonda Byrne. It, uh, it's, it started out with a good premise. Uh, they gave away 100,000 copies of the book, which is how it got into Oprah's hands which is how the original interview occurred with Ron DeBurn and, and Oprah, and the rest is, you know, book sales history. Now, the premise was that you could take a picture of what you wanted to have or accomplish out of a magazine, and you could stick it to your refrigerator, and every time you went to the fridge, you'd look at it and keep it in the forefront of your mind, and just by focusing on that, it would happen. And, and what happened was, you know, real estate agents, car salespeople, bankers, all kinds of people covered their fridge with their intentions. And then a strange thing happened, almost nothing. And I thought to myself, why, why didn't that formula work? Why, you know, focusing on that thing, that motorcycle or that house or that husband-to-be or whatever, why didn't it work for them? And I started coupling it together with what the ancients were saying. And I said, at the time I was teaching uh, university math at, at night, uh, students that wanted to go and get their associate's degree and adults were in my class. So I got to the section in the book that dealt with 
Fibonacci, who was an Italian philosopher slash mathematician. He discovered a progression in numbers where uh, nature seems to get its its formula for division. So it's like zero, one, and then zero plus uh, one is one, and then one and one is two, and then one and three is, you know, and it four, and it, and it continues that way. So I didn't want to teach.